Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. Terror management theory. Now that's not a phrase you would expect me to start a message, but that's a pretty reasonable and relevant study to talk about. It's a framework, a model, if you will, for social identity. It comes about at a very good time in our lives when we're actually witnessing what it has hypothesized and observed unfold. I wrote about terror management theory years ago in my master's thesis. I did a self-in-culture study of... Self-in-culture means that I'm talking about myself and my experience with my grandma and anticipating her end of life while she was ill and... Now, to paraphrase terror management theory, just basically goes over what happens when people have mortality reminders, when there are things in our lives or circumstances that remind us that we're mortal. Terror management theory as a social identity theory means that there are groups. There are groups of people in the world that have different worldviews and beliefs, different customs and norms, different identities, different ways of looking and being and interacting with each other. We seemed primed to want to cling to the in-group, the group that is like us, as if it depended on our very survival. So what happens in a pandemic? It increases our awareness that life is temporary and that it may be more temporary than we would like it to be. We witness suffering and we have all these different changes to our daily lives. And what do we cling to in those moments? What happens with closed borders and closed homes and closed buildings? There's a certain chaos to it that can speed up that natural response of fear. Now this all seems understandable. The challenge arises when we have elitist or exclusive behaviors that increase intergroup violence. We see this around the world with different extremist groups in different countries that have a different spectrum of colors, cultural worldviews, religious beliefs, and how they behave towards groups within their locale who look, appear, believe different than them, but are in much smaller numbers. This is the idea of majority-minority. We see this behavior around the world, and what we might call it is a type of supremacy, a supremacist attitude and a supremacist notion that we are better than these people, but we are going to make them go away. We don't like them. They can't stay here. And what it really is, is a type of turf war, a type of boundary war, a type of intergroup warfare. This intergroup violence doesn't bode well. It turned a pandemic into a pandemia. What might slow all this rancor down? In my study, I used photography, poetry, and a blog to talk about and express in creative way this idea of fear of death in an end-of-life caregiving context with my grandma. You might say my grandma was symbolic of an in-group and my faith in Jesus and Christianity worldview was my belief system. At first glance, it might seem that I was clinging to those, clinging to the grandma, and that's what made the fear arise. It seems that 
I could have been clinging to the worldview to help me get through it. What if it's not an either-or phenomenon? I held on to my faith and beliefs, but they extended outward to share in a creative way. I expressed it on a creative platform and shared it. Then I formalized that with a research study and shared it with my peers. I submitted it to their review and their critique. My grandma being a strong person of faith and also an academic in her own right, having been among the first to go to college, and then me continuing that tradition, extending forward in the generations. The whole performance was an effort to make sense, to craft and create this meaningful way to honor her because I knew I had to let her go. I could not hold on to her. In this way, the creativity of the performance allowed me to slow it down and maybe even engage the parasympathetic nervous system for the possibilities for the imagination and share that approach with other people who might rethink their experience with losing a loved one. Possibilities thinking is essential to coaching. Storytelling and creative efforts can honor identity as we learn to dialogue who we are with other people instead of war with them. We learn more about who we are and who they are in the process and slow it down enough to slow down this process of giving and receiving offense. Now, what does this have to do with the Bible? Jesus taught to not give and receive offense. There was a time when he asked the disciples to go to a fish and pull out a coin in its mouth and pay the priest so as to not give offense because that was their tradition to give a donation as it were. We live in a time where we increase the speed of communication and this has been ongoing. We increase the flux of humanity with the rise of intergroup violence around the world. We have seen displaced people and refugees around the world pressing in on borders and pressing out to leave and flee violence. Often these are children and families. And many of these children have been orphaned by the wars of adults. Then there's social media, which is, by the way, not a social experiment. It's more along the lines of a political one that relies on a central service of electricity, of the grid, and of internet, which we use for more necessary and first or- and second order behaviors for putting the lights on in the house, or the air conditioning, or the heating, or doing work from home, or work from the office to engage in commerce or ministry. These are more first and second order things that keep a society going and moving forward or at least maintaining at a healthier buzz. Experiments, by the way, in research, they need to be following the Belmont Report, these principles of informed consent, for example, and other ethics. Research studies are often at the academic level put through an internal review board for the ethics of the study. They want to know the design, the method, the population, the people, and how basically you're going to take care of them and reduce the harm of your study in baiting or hurting them in their lives in some way for the information that you want to gain from them. Here we circle back to this uncomfortable space, what Jesus hinted at when he said to give no offense. And it involved the matter of a coin. We use coin and currency in a lot of ways in our society. And one way that's unfortunate is to hoard resources. 
Now you might disagree with me, but hear me out. In the parable of the rich man, Jesus teaches that there was this man who hoarded all his wealth and put it in the silo and kept it to himself and had amazing things. And yet that night he said, oh, great, I've got it made. I don't have a care in the world. I'm not going to worry about anything. And God said, that was foolish because your soul is required of you this very night. And who's going to take away your wealth now? You can't take it with you. Then a whole stream of people after this man died came into his house and took away the things that if they were the workers that he may have not paid, then they may have needed those things, right? This is arguable. But listen, Jesus talked a lot about wealth and the uncomfortable overlap with the economics and religion and politics and how humans have used those throughout history to hoard things at the expense of human life. In Revelation 18, we read about the slaves, the human souls on ships. That's the phrase that that passage uses. Back in Jesus' day, he overthrew the tables of the money lenders and the money changers that were using the temple and using it as an economic place, which we might wonder, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But I wonder about that. There are to be no barriers to accessing God. Jesus himself is the high priest who mediates that, and he earned his title of high priest through his empathy. This is going back to an identity-based version of intergroup relations. Jesus had the identity of the Son of Man and Son of God. He still has that today. And it wasn't enough that he was just perfect, that he was God, that he was part of the Trinity. He had to also come down and walk in our shoes. And when he looked at the crowds, what did he see? When he looked at the chaos, what did he think or say? What is described of him that he had what? Contempt? Annoyance? Anger? Oh, these people, they deserve it. Look at the mess they're in. They shouldn't get help. They shouldn't get health care. They shouldn't get what they need. They didn't earn it. They didn't work for it. They're the ones that got themselves in this situation. What are they doing wandering around in the marketplace for? Why aren't they out volunteering? And on and on and on. He could have had this whole litany that we sort of hold to. And what do we call it? What do we make it look good or justified as? Ideology. But no, Jesus didn't use ideology. He wasn't out there beating them with the Bible saying, repent. That was, the, that was John the Baptist, his cousin. And Jesus said that his gospel was the gospel of repentance. John the Baptist's gospel was the gospel of repentance. Jesus' gospel is the gospel of the what? The kingdom. So now we're in this space again of the overlap of all the sectors that make a kingdom. What does this have to do with terror management theory again? And what does this have to do with the Bible? It has to do with our gospel heritage. The rise of the chaos and the fear and the intergroup violence, to me, sounds and seems like a symptom of a lack of an identity based in our heritage and rooted in our shared identity as a family. We could call it a family of humanity. And then as the church, we are the family of God. So we can either go on the internet and squabble and squander our time and our ideas and our opinions and arguing in the comments with with people, which by the way, 
tends to be a bit more damaging than just the post of disinformation and misinformation. It's the rancor. It's the speed at which it's shared. And it's the rancor and the trolling that happens below it. And what is trolling but scoffing, mocking at people, treating them with contempt. When Jesus gazed at the crowds, he gazed at them with compassion, not contempt, not derisiveness, not should have, would have, could have. What are the ways you can today slow the roll, slow down the conversation to allow us to connect better, to dialogue? What are the ways you can uncover your own motivation or flesh out your own identity or what you value in a group and think about that for yourself? Because it starts from who we are. The better we know ourselves, the better we can stand and be in a group of people, a sea of humanity without losing our footing. And then what are the ways we can steward our environment better? This is an unexpected question on this whole conversation around fear and the economics of fear and the rise of intergroup violence and what can we do to slow the pace. Well, remember that the context is the earth. That's what we're all living on. It's not just a housing crisis, for example, or a crisis of people displaced from their homes, it's also a crisis of care of creation. Creation care is also a ministry within the church. What are you or I willing to do today or to set up in our calendar this month? Or what are we willing to change in one small way in our routine to better improve our care of the environment, of the world that we're living in. We all need fresh air to breathe. We all need cool and clean water to drink. We all need nutritious food every day. And we all need shelter. It's shelter that's a basic need. And to do that, to manage all these pressures in our environment that are increasing the speed of things, they're increasing the emergencies of things, they're increasing the natural disasters and crises of things. Part of it is the process over generations. Whether or not those environments have been taken care of or not, it has compiled over time with our way of life. What creative way can we talk about ideas to manage this challenge? What are some of the possibilities in an ideal world? How would you spend your day? What would your favorite basic need be? How often would you log on to the internet or would you be doing something else? What are some of the old school ways that you can go out and engage a neighbor or do something in your community to volunteer your time or even just walk around and wave at people? Strike up a conversation if you think it's safe to do so, and it likely is. The answer is not so much in the details, but in the possibilities. Because creation care is also generational care, perinatal care, child care, elder care, because this is our home. And in terms of our group, in terms of the clinging, What can we do to be more confident in our identity, our identity of faith? For me, maybe that's for you. What is something you value? Sometimes this is personality or culture driven, but is there a way to step out of that and ask yourself, what does it mean for you? Go out and serve. Use that energy 
for a positive place. If you're upset about something in politics, go out and serve in that area that you're upset about. If you're upset about pro-life or pro-choice, go out and serve and help somebody in need of support. Circling it back to matters of faith, the gospel heritage is about kingdom come. It's about a forward vision as we're moving together as a family of God, reproducing this faith of Jesus. And also, I would suggest in each other with the model of the church, Jesus is the head and we're the rest of the parts. He is up in heaven right now. And he says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be afraid. He's building a house. I talked to my son about this and say, you know, Jesus is building us this house of many rooms. And that's what he said when he overturned the tables. What was his, what was his exhortation? What was his rebuke? Because that's where the solution is. It's hidden in there. It's the hidden gem. He said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves, basically, but it is a house of prayer for what? Was that an end stop period? Was that a house of prayer just for people like me, just for my family, just for my religion, just for my political group, just for my cultural group, just for my business, just for my family? No, he said, a house of prayer for all nations. In Revelation, we read about when those tongues and tribes and nations will all worship God, will all worship the Lamb. They will join in the song of the Lamb. There will be this creative performance for all eternity that will finally let us rest, that we will find rest, as it talks about in Hebrews. We will enter into God's rest Finally, that parasympathetic spirituality we've all been after will be ours for eternity. And why? Because Jesus is building that house. This house answers the herald of the angels when Jesus was born at the advent of Jesus. What did they say? Peace on earth and goodwill to men on whom God's favor rests. Goodwill to humanity on whom God's favor rests. And we know that God favor rests in his son. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not forced on us. It's a gift that we can give and receive. Instead of giving and receiving offense, we can give and receive this gift of salvation in Christ. And it's not just for ourselves in our own soul, because that would just perpetuate this in-group clinging. It's also to reproduce that for others. It's also to go out and serve. Do as I do, Jesus said. Go out and serve. Every time you get an impulse to argue on the internet or something in politics happens that makes you mad, find that topic, that kernel. What is this all about? And why is this important to me? And I'm going to go find one small way I can do something about it. And let it be positive. Let it be loving, not violent. So let's wrap up. A gospel heritage offers us this family, a forever faith family, the forever family of all time towards kingdom come. It is a vision for the future. It is a vision of possibility. So what is your vision for your family, for your cultural family, for your spiritual family? And how can you par that down to something practical where you can do something about it? 
Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.